0: Blackstone to acquire Ancestry, leading online family history business, for $4.7 billion. Ancestry is the global leader in digital family history services, operating in more than 30 countries with more than 3 million paying subscribers across its Ancestry online properties and more than 1 billion in annual revenues. The company harnesses the information found in family trees and historical records. To help people gain a new level of understanding about their lives. Ancestry also operates a market leading consumer genomics business, which informs consumers about their heritage and key health characteristics. Prior to joining Ancestry, she served as CEO of Mattel, President of Americas, and Vice President of Global Sales Operations at Google. She's also held leadership roles as COO of Groupon, EVP of U.S. Card Services, and CMO of Discover Financial Services, and was a partner at McKinsey in London and Chicago. She has championed organizations that inspire girls to pursue educational opportunities and careers in STEM and the next generation of women leaders. She's a recipient of the Forbes Excellence Award in Innovation, Chicago Innovation's Visionary Award, and was named to Fortune's 50 Most Powerful Women in Business list. She serves on the board of directors of McDonald's Corporation. She earned a BA in economics and an MBA from Harvard. Join me on this episode of the Curvebenders podcast, Unwilling to See No Boundaries, with Margot Georgiadis, president and CEO of Ancestry. Hi there, this is David Knorr, host of the Curvebenders podcast. I'm excited to share insights with you at the intersection of the future of work And strategic relationships. Make no mistake about it. There are a number of forces in the next two decades that will dramatically change the way we live, the way we work, the way we play and the way we serve others. And I believe there are these relationships that will come into our lives that can change both the direction and destination of where we're headed. Those are the individuals I call curve benders. So in each episode, I want to share with you insights from our research, from our interviews of great guests and their incredible experiences. I want to invite people to share their ideas and examples of not just coaches and mentors, but real curve benders that have had a profound impact on their lives. Specifically, we're going to talk about pragmatic ideas in the evolution of your skills, your knowledge, and your behaviors. So let's get started. Curvebender's book, Chapter 1, Work-Life Blending. What we do isn't just who we are. Many of us in Western civilization have derived our last names from ancestors in England. As the country's populations grew after the Norman conquest in 1066, people found that specificity particularly relevant. Of the estimated 45,000 different English last names, most have origins in one of seven types, occupation, occupation. Description of a personal characteristic, from an English place, name of an estate, geographic features of the landscape, ancestral or patronage. For almost a thousand years, our jobs have defined us with these attributes and occupations being passed down through generations. Descriptors such as Thomas the Baker, Norman, son of Richard, Elizabeth of the Field, and Joan of York have led to our current last names. For someone who grew up with disciplinarian parents, I learned a strong work ethic early in life. Up early each morning, not being lazy on weekends, working hard to do my best, and late hours were the norm. I remember how hard my middle-class parents worked with multiple jobs to make ends meet when my sister and I were young children in Iran. My Uncle Ken, whom I grew up with here in the U.S. as a teenager, held a full-time job and was a part-time entrepreneur. So Saturdays and Sundays were just two days of a work week. I paid for both my undergraduate and graduate degrees with cash flow, working multiple jobs. I was doing side hustles. I'd find the newspaper ads before the gig economy was prevalent. 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday was the mandatory work week. For years, I'd work every weekend, missing out on family time. I would stay at the office late into the nights trying to get more done. You could say that work has always defined me, as it does most men I associate with. Read the rest of this excerpt from my journey in writing The Curvebender's book in our private, free online community, NOR Forum. Learn more at norgroupcom forum. Hi there, David Noor. I want to welcome you back to another episode of the Curvebenders podcast. My guest today is uh, a new friend, uh, an MG100 colleague, and someone who's had a very big event happen this week in the news. Margot uh CEO of uh, Ancestry.com. Welcome to the Curvebenders podcast. Thank you, David. It's great to be here. It's great to have you. So, Margo, for people who may not know as much about you, your background, can you talk for a couple of minutes about where you've been, what you've done, and your journey to get to here? Of course.
1: Um, I'm a, I guess, simply put, I'm a very mission-driven leader, and I've spent my whole career focused on how technology and data can democratize access and transform profitable growth, whether it was my early career at McKinsey as a partner- uh, being at Discover or then a long uh, career at Google, Mattel, and now Ancestry, that's really what's connected the dots.
0: And uh, again, great Harvard College, Harvard MBA background, great educational foundation. Through those experiences and, and through the companies you mentioned, um, you and I briefly talked about uh, relationships that really shape uh, kind of who we become. So we'll talk about curve benders in a second. Can you talk a little about the challenges and opportunities you're seeing in consumer genomics with this global pandemic?
1: Well, certainly we face a, probably once in a, in a lifetime experience right now with COVID. And I think, you know, we're all challenged with this new humanity at work and in our lives. And I think we're all feeling this deep sense of gratitude for all the little things that we often took for granted but we're also galvanized as a global community around how can we all make a difference um, in this moment in time and use whatever assets that we can uh, to make progress. And I'm just really excited at the incredible innovation that I can see being unleashed uh, to help people uh, deal with this incredible challenge that we face in our lives. And certainly we as a company at Ancestry have really thought deeply about how do we take our assets and use them for good you know whether it's parents at home trying to educate their kids we've taken our k-12 lesson plans and turned them into a way parents to have a wonderful way of helping their kids um, understand history or or creating ways for people to celebrate like the memorial day parade if it comes specifically in consumer genomics this is where we have an enormous asset base we have over 18 million people in our consumer genomics network. And there, what we've really done is uh, embark on a huge, uh, unprecedentedly scaled research project, which really is trying to understand the linkages between who's having the more adverse reactions to COVID-19 and genetics. And that's been a community effort. Uh, We have over 600,000 people engaged um, of our community of over 18 million that are engaged in, in really contributing to that scientific discovery. And so that's been really fun to see. We're also uh, working on how do we get rapid COVID testing. So we recently launched, or we're partners in launching an XPRIZE to try to drive more rapid, very cost effective <clears throat> testing for COVID that could be used. For people returning to school and work. And so each of us, I think, are trying to take our assets and, and use those for good um, in an unprecedented time in our lives.
0: So you mentioned uh, Discover, you mentioned Google, you mentioned uh, Mattel. Why health? What brought you to Ancestry? What drew you to this opportunity?
1: Once I started, you know, I'm a deeply mission driven leader, and Ancestry was one of those opportunities that once in a lifetime. It's a deeply mission-driven company, has always spent uh, 30 years focused on helping people discover, preserve, and share their family stories. And then with this incredible asset that we built up to help people on their family history journeys, we have become the leader in consumer genomics. And the opportunity to unleash that data and insight on how to evolve into personalized preventive health was truly something only we could do. We were the first company to build this sort of scale. And when you think about the connections between family health history and your genetics, and really then being able to have that foundation information to move into this next generation of health um, was just something um, as an an innovator and data-driven leader about democratizing access, it's something I just couldn't imagine passing up.
0: Margot, where do you see... Family genomics, you know going in the next decade or two, where do you believe it will, it will even become a bigger opportunity for us to learn? I'm, I'm fascinated that we, we seem to know more about our cars than we do our bodies, right? And you brought up preventive. We do you know, regular checkups, and the engine light goes on, we go take care of that, and we're not nearly as proactive with our bodies as we could be. Give us a glimpse into where you see this going in the next decade or two.
1: Well, as we think about uh, the future of health, right? Today, most of of health was trained on treating everyone as an average. Uh, but we clearly know from the information that we have that no one is an average. And when you think about your own family's history of of disease linkages, when you think about your genetic makeup that you inherit, and when you think about the choices you make, the kind of career you have, and the other things that you do in your life, all of those things together really determine um, much of your health outcomes. And that's not an average at all. And so the ability to really take data and insight and be able to support uh, consumers in a more empowered way to have a more personalized experience in the healthcare ecosystem is transformational in terms of both saving lives by early intervention. But also being more efficient, right, in how we use our resources uh, so that people can get the best care possible. And for that to happen in today's world, we really have to support doctors to have that personalized data being presented to them in a way that they can take action on it. And that's really what we're, we're focused on, which is how do we get in front of this? How do we help understand That data can enable everyone to have a personalized care experience in the healthcare
0: ecosystem. You recently launched a new service that goes beyond the at-home testing, at-home kits?
1: We did. uh, This week, actually, we launched something called um, Ancestry Health powered by NGS, which is next generation sequencing. And one of the foundations to being able to move into this preventive uh, care arena is having a comprehensive understanding of people's genetics that's affordable. And so what we sought to do, as we did also with um, understanding people's ethnicities, is we've partnered using our technology and scale to make accessible this very comprehensive whole gene sequencing. And so this enables us to understand 80 to 90% of the risks that people face for inherited um, diseases. And so we're able to look at things in cancer and cardiac and connective tissue, et cetera, that gives uh, people really a, a phenomenal understanding of where those risks might lie if they have them.
0: So it gives us much more uh, predictive capabilities.
1: Today, the technology that we're using for ancestral work is something called array technology. And it only looks at, at pieces of your, uh, of your genes. Whereas this looks at all the whole genes. And so that enables us to have much more um, uh, resolution as we're looking under that microscope. We're not just seeing a few specs, we're seeing it all. And so that's what's really exciting. And to be able to provide that in a, at a mass affordable price point um, is just something we've really striven for over the last few years, is how do we make preventive genetic screening mass
0: affordable? Talk about your journey from Google... Uh, and then over to Mattel, are there some uh, leadership traits? Are there some unique learning and growth opportunities that you brought over to Ancestry with you? Because uh, very different businesses, but I can't help but believe certain attributes were very transferable.
1: So, you know, as I, th- as I think about what I've learned over my career, you know, a lot of of what enables companies to innovate is that you're able to see the future, right? You're bothered by the way things are, and that's something I really learned uh, working at Google. You know, Larry Page was hugely in, influential, and um, in my personal thinking around leadership because he fundamentally, you know, challenged us to to think about the biggest problem we could solve and how could technology in a scalable way make whole new solutions, whole new ways of doing it. But it was never about the technology. Um, It was about making people's lives simpler and easier, right? So they could go about their lives. But technology would enable that jump, right, in the quality of their experience. And so that willingness to see no boundaries and just really focus on how you would make things magically better is something I've really um, taken to every... You know, opportunity that I've had both at Google uh, for a decade, but also into what we're doing at Mattel and now what I'm doing at Ancestry. Because today, for example, Ancestral Research, we do a phenomenal job with people from Western Europe where it's easier for us to gain access to records. And we've worked through DNA to try to be a more globally relevant uh, product. Uh, But we're using technology now in innovative ways to dramatically lower the cost of the digitization of content so that we can go to more markets more quickly and easily. We're working on things like handwriting recognition, which would enable us uh, to be able to skip more steps in that process and, and do more faster. Or on the, on the genetic side, what I was just talking about earlier, which is how do we dramatically drive down the costs of genetic sequencing because just having the genetics information is a foundation, but there's so much more that we want to be able to integrate. And so we have to make that mass affordable as the foundation element and then build around it. And so it's really being able to see that future, as you said, five to 10 years out, and then think about how can we leverage technology to make that more scalable.
0: Beyond your educational foundation, beyond your professional pedigree. Can you comment on the role relationships have had in your personal and professional growth?
1: Well, for me, I've always focused tremendously on people, probably from a young age, because my parents always said to me, you know, major in people, uh, major in professors when I was in my school age days, um, not classes, always think about the people that are pushing boundaries that are going to, challenge the way people see the world and probably make you uncomfortable but it's in that moment of discomfort that you'll grow the most. And so at each stage of my career I've really thought about who's the most interesting person that I have access to at this moment in time. And that's enabled me to constantly learn, stretch and grow throughout my career and you know when I was in college for example Uh, My freshman year, I ended up taking a graduate school course. I was really, really interested in third world development. And I took a graduate school course when I was at Harvard at the Kennedy School. And it was kind of me (laughs) as this undergraduate, but everyone else in the class was uh, a leader in a country from all over the world, from Africa, from Asia, from everywhere else. And I learned so much being in that room with those people at that formative moment of my life. It really helped me think about ecosystems and. And how countries, you know, evolve and it inspired me to go on a research journey, which, you know, ended up leading in all sorts of interesting directions, working in um, Indonesia and China, you know, back in the 80s. And and these were formative experiences. Uh, And, you know, I could go on and on throughout my career. But it was those moments where I was willing to take a risk, where I was willing to put myself in a place where I was uncomfortable, but around people uh, that would make me think differently, see the world differently from new perspectives.
0: You and I talked about curve benders as relationships who not uh, incrementally, but profoundly change your direction, your destination. Margot, in thinking about where you've been and what you've done, can you think of one or two individuals who've had that impact on you?
1: Oh, definitely. I'm in a- I was just talking about Peter Timmer, who was that college professor. He not only enabled, let me take this class, you know, as a freshman, but he then uh, took me to Asia, and I, I was his bag carrier. But he put me in those rooms with the minister of finance and the head of the food logistics agency, and that gave me the confidence that I could have massive scale, even as a college student, by bringing ecosystem thinking facts and data and new ways of of approaching problems. Um, Larry Page, as I mentioned earlier, at Google, this concept of thinking 10x versus 10%. You know, so much of my training when I was a partner at McKinsey or even classic business school training in the past was really about benchmarking comparisons, understanding strategy in a certain way. Um, But what I really learned from going to Google at a formative point in my leadership uh, was the importance of of being able, as I said earlier, to see the future um, and to really challenge yourself. How could you create a scalable platform that could enable network effects, becoming smarter with every interaction? And then, of course, I had the privilege of being able to play that out across search and video and mobile and cloud and AI machine learning. And that was just formative in helping me as a leader never see boundaries. I also learned a lot at Google from Eric Schmidt, um, who is a phenomenal leader. And, you know, one of the things I learned from him, and he'd had a lot of amazing uh, leadership experiences as a CEO before Google, and came in with some fundamental um, beliefs that I actually really agree with, you know, he was obsessed about matrix organizations versus business units and how they outperform. By creating a healthy tension, and it's at that rubbing point uh, that you can gain, you know, the ignition and velocity. And it does create complexity, but at the end of the day, you avoid some of the the tyranny of people protecting their turf. And so it's re- it's been really interesting for me to, to really try to think about how to unleash that. Um, and frankly, Marshall Goldsmith as a leader uh, was a big curve bender for me. I think those of us who've loved his teaching, you know, very much realized that successful people also have giant blind spots. We have great passion and drive, but that can also be a a defect, right? If overused, we can overhelp, we can win too much. A lot of the things he talks about and leadership is so much about building brilliant followership and listening and supporting. And I think when you hit a moment in your career where you, you realize how important that is and how much more transformational you can become, I think it enables you to do even um, greater things than you did before. And so I'm so grateful for these many people throughout my career who've been such inspiring mentors and coaches.
0: Whenever I describe curve benders as relationships that dramatically change our direction and our destination, one of the fascinating questions that, that I often think about is how do, you, how do you become one? Margot, in thinking about people you've led, can you think of some attributes that you believe makes a great curvebender how do you how do you become one
1: so for me um i think about the people that have uh, been curve benders for me i think they do three things they help reframe your field of view they help you think dig- bigger how do you define a market how do you think about you know the bigger consumer problem and they uh, sometimes help you see a solution space versus the problems or they help you see constraints as opportunities um, I think the second thing they do really well is they help you see possibilities in yourself, talents that may, maybe you didn't realize that you had, or they give you confidence to take risks um, to pursue new paths, or they give you connections or exposure uh, that opens doors or creates momentum. And I think the third thing is um, curve benders, I don't know, I, they see them as people that create sparks that become flames, um, they put unexpected groups together. You know, I think of some a moment in my career and learning from Eric Schmidt, is we had this strategy team. and he handpicked cross-functional interesting leaders from all over the company, and he shoved us in a room every Friday for a month. and he did this once a year. And he basically asked us to think of all the ways that we could be knocked off our path and to come up with alternative approaches to do different things. And it was in that mashup of all these unexpected people that we built extraordinary relationships and learned at such a deep level as We challenged every single thing in the way we knew it to be. And I think it's those unexpected connections that then spark the flame and the velocity for each of us. And so I believe these are things that, you know, I've really tried to learn from and then do also for others. And I, I think that's part of the, we, we get these great uh, gifts of support, and then we have to give them back to.
0: Blackstone, as of this past week, agreed to acquire Ancestry. What are you most looking forward to, to the Blackstone partnership and relationship?
1: Well, Blackstone is a phenomenal investor that has an extraordinary track record of identifying companies that have enormous long-term potential. And what I'm really excited about in partnering with them is that they have a shared vision, as we do, for the ability um, to democratize access to family history to more people than ever before around uh, the globe. They understand the enduring nature and the innate desire and curiosity of every person to understand their place in the world and those connections, as well as the proven you know, scientific evidence that it makes people more open and resilient and confident. And we all know we live in a world where we need those three things to be more true um, in the world than ever before. And then through their long-term vision of enabling us to obviously pursue our core mission to its fullest extent, you know, they also have enormous insights into the life sciences area and how we can think bigger and in a more compelling way, as I said earlier, reframe our field of view to see possibilities for how we can truly achieve our vision uh, for making a difference in personalized preventive health. And so the combination of those things with a phenomenal investor with a long-term view, we're actually the first investment they're making in their new flagship fund. And I think that really enables us to take the kind of bold thinking and and leadership that we want to continue to take um, in our two enormously important categories, family history and consumer genomics.
0: One of the suppositions in the Curvebenders book that I'm currently writing about is there are these 15 forces that dramatically will impact the way we work, the way we live, the way we play, and the way we give. Margot, in thinking about your own personal, professional growth over the next decade, what are you most excited about? What are you most concerned about? Your learning, your growth, your journey.
1: So personally, I, I believe that curiosity is at the center point of great leadership. And so um, it was actually Brian Grazer who many years ago, um, he actually wrote a book called Curiosity, and he talked about how, you know, he spent time every week talking to at least three people that did things that were totally different from from what he did And it's what enabled him to create so many brilliant um, innovations in the field of film. And I really subscribe to that as a leader myself. Um, I truly believe that the minute we stop being curious, we stop um, our growth. And so I love to meet new people continuously who challenge my thinking, who open my field of view. And so I intend to stay as curious as ever, um, and to make sure I'm doing that. I also believe that part of a leader's role is to lead heads up versus heads down. And so you can't bring oxygen to your team and great new ideas. If you're not out constantly challenging, right? Your assumption sets and what new ways of doing things there may be. I do believe as we think about the next 10 years, this pandemic is going to change a lot of things about how we live and work and think about what's important in our lives And I hope this can turn into a moment of reflection um, as individuals collectively and that we can make some commitments to truly finding ways to deal with some of the real challenging issues in our society. The need for greater openness, the need for a greater sense of true community where there's less disparity and we're able to bring more people up and Personally, I have a huge passion for education, in particular STEM education, and I'm hoping to make a significant impact um, on that field over the next years um, alongside my other professional
0: interests. If you and I were to revisit uh, 10 years from now, wh- what what do you believe you've been most proud to have accomplished?
1: Well, I think for, for every person, I think, uh, particularly for me, I start with my family first, and so... I'm blessed to have a husband of 30 years and three amazing children. And so the thing I take the most pride in is that they are successful, happy, and potentially in a position to make the world a better place. And so for me, that will always be the thing that is most important to me. And then I think second, I think what we all remember from, what we do in our life is the people. And so when I think about having left a legacy of talented leaders who can continue to carry on in the organizations that I've been fortunate enough to be part of, and of course, being one of the few women leaders in technology, hopefully to have uh, made an impact on encouraging other women uh, to be successful leaders in technology or whatever they choose to lead in um, is also important to me as something I'd love to uh, leave behind if I think about 10 years
0: from now. Uh, you and I have both met Gary Ridge of uh, WD-40. and I love his comment that you never fail. They become learning moments. In thinking about Groupon, in thinking about Mattel and the lessons there, uh, I, I want you to extrapolate forward. Regrets or learning moments that you either wish you could have done differently or you know that was a big learning opportunity for me to carry on to the next one, not to repeat.
1: So I think we're all, you know, students of our own experience. And I think it's really important to be self-reflective. Now, for me, I think the two lessons I take away are your values and how you choose to live and work are really important uh, to who you are. And so you have to make decisions to work in environments where you those things are in alignment. And when they're not you have to recognize that and make the choice um, of where you believe you can personally make the most difference and that aligns. I think second, you know, we all aspire to leave every place. We've gone better than we found it. And so, you know, my goal has always been understand what you can most do in that moment to make an enormous difference and make sure that what you leave behind, you know, is something better and that there are people there, you know, that can, continue to take it to the next level. And for me, I think staying focused on that has been incredibly helpful. And I think I've been willing to make uh, the hard decisions when I, when I believe that, you know, things are not in alignment with where I can be at my best, highest impact.
0: To build on that, what are the, I have an 18 year old daughter who's headed to Georgia Tech uh, this, this weekend. What would you, what's the top advice, two, three things you would give that fresh Harvard Business School grad, Margot, in 1990?
1: No, it's interesting. I've actually, um, we've had a wonderful experience um, providing some mentorship from my class at Harvard Business School to the current class that's just graduating. And so we've actually been talking a lot about this. And, you know, I think the most important things to that new graduate or even the person entering that university is Really know what your passions are, because when you love something, you will always be better at it. Um, and then the second advice is make sure that you're growing every day, that you're challenging yourself to take one more step to broaden your horizons. And don't always think everything has to be in a straight line. Sometimes in the most unexpected places, you will find enormous opportunities and growth i think particularly people leaving business schools think there's a perfect job with a perfect company with a perfect salary and i think at that early stage that's really not what it's about is what are you learning how is that building uh, momentum for you or broadening your field of view and then i think third and we talked about this earlier is major in people right think about the people that you're around are they people that will inspire and stretch you Because when you are around really interesting people, they will introduce you to more interesting people and your circle um, just gets bigger and helps you understand the world in new and different ways and yourself in new and different ways. And I think if you follow those three principles, follow your passions, right? Continue to stretch and grow yourself, take risks uh, to grow and always surround yourself with really interesting people. You'll always be successful.
0: Margot, you've been uh fabulous thank you for your insights thank you for your friendship and and uh and all that you do every day for uh again as a daughter who's starting as a chemistry major uh, I think likewise stem and uh I know you're involved with girls who code and and a lot of other great causes but thank you for your insights on this on this podcast. What's the best way for our audience to learn more about you and your efforts Well, I
1: think uh ancestry is something I really encourage everyone to go and explore. And if you go to Ancestry.com, you can learn all about everything that we're doing, both in family history and to begin this journey into personalized health. And so encourage everyone to go and get informed and learn more.
0: That's fabulous. So thank you. Thanks for being a guest on the Curvebenders podcast. And can't wait to hear uh, all about your your future success with, uh, with Blackstone as well.
1: Well, congratulations on your daughter, um, I hope she loves chemistry, and I'm delighted to know that there's another
0: woman in STEM. They've got a, yeah, she's got an amazing mom, and likewise, we can't, uh, we can't wait to see what, what she's able to accomplish. Margo, thanks. Thank you. If you've listened to the Curvebenders podcast for a few episodes, you know that I'm writing the Curvebenders book on why strategic relationships will power your nonlinear growth in the future of work. This will be book number 11 with tools, ideas, insights, case studies, great interviews like the one you heard today. In essence, what you need to create a personal and professional growth roadmap in your future of work. I'm excited to begin sharing key sections with the members of our Nor Forum community. So go to com slash forum and check out the Curve Benders thread for more details. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Curve Benders Podcast with Margot Georgiadis, president and CEO of Ancestry. Three comments Margot made during our interview really resonated with me. Number one, she talked about her being a mission-driven leader and really focusing on majoring in people and professors in her educational years, not the subjects, not the jobs themselves. Number two, loved this idea and hence the title of the session, Willing to See No Boundaries. A lesson she learned at Google and she's carried that through her career. Number three, our strength as giant blind spots if overused. I have a bias for action, but when I move to act too quickly, I tend to miss some of the details that should have been thought of, I should have thought of in the planning session. So what incredible strengths do you have that if it's overused could be a potential blind spot. Don't forget, I turn the show notes from these podcasts into more in-depth articles, so check them out in our free member-based community, NOR Forum. Join us at norgroup.com/forum. I'm so thankful for our listeners on the Curvebenders podcast. I want to keep producing great content, most beneficial to your personal and professional growth in this idea of future of work. So I'd love to hear your feedback. Don't forget to follow us on the various social media channels. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. I'm on LinkedIn. And I'm using the hashtag Curvebenders podcast. So make sure you follow that for all of our latest updates.